Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome on to the latest episode of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at jreednfl. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. You can also find my work on CoverOne.net and ClimbingThePocket.com. We have some really good things going over on both websites, so be sure to check that out. And it is not too late to get my 2019 NFL Draft Guide, especially with the NFL Draft starting today. Make sure you go pick that up. You can find the link at the top of my Twitter page. Again, that's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. It is $10, but all of the proceeds go to the Raleigh Rise Against Hunger Foundation, which is a foundation that is striving to end hunger and fight poverty, not only here in the United States, but also in international countries and areas as well. Hungary, Uruguay, the Philippines, and a lot of other locations they are stationed in. So be sure to check that out. It is only $10 again, and you're benefiting a great cause, but also you're helping yourself out by getting to learn about 200, over 200 prospects. With that being said, it is officially draft day, and I am so excited for the three-day event that is known as the NFL Draft. It is by far my favorite sporting event of the year. And it's not just because I am so deep into the draft, but it gives every single fan of every team so much hope. Every fan feels like a sense or has a sense of rejuvenation. This is the beginning of the calendar year for me about a new year because you're getting so many different pieces and new pieces added onto an NFL roster. And I know we went through free agency and all of those other things, but with the draft, I just feel like this is the start of the new league year. And just to give you an overview of exactly how I will be covering the draft this year, I will be sitting down with Sigmund Bloom, Mark Schofield, Brandon Thorne, and a host of other guys in a roundtable starting at 7.45 Eastern Time tomorrow leading up to the first round of the draft. But my first mock draft of the year is officially out on CoverOne.net, and that is just to kick off everything starting over the next three days. I am also going to have four straight days of podcasts for you guys. Starting with today's episode, I'm going to go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and a finale coming out on Sunday with a thumbs up, thumbs down segment about each draft class and certain picks that I liked in every round. So you're going to have unlimited coverage on this podcast. But today's podcast is specifically talking about my second and final mock draft of the year. And I'm going to go through every pick, starting with the Arizona Cardinals at the top with the top overall selection and then finishing up with the New England Patriots with the 32nd overall selection. So with that being said, I want to get right into it. With the first overall selection in 2019 NFL, Jordan Reed, mock draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Kyler Murray, the quarterback from Oklahoma. And I love this pick. And it's not because I'm not a believer in Josh Rosen, because I am. He was my QB1 a year ago. But I just like the upside of Kyler Murray a bit better and how he fits into that air raid offense that coach Cliff Kingsbury wants to run. And Kingsbury is going to pound the table for Murray just because he has a previous relationship with him. And he knows exactly what he can do in that offense. And if you ever think about 
all of the quarterbacks that have had success entering the league right away over the past few years, all of them have had one thing in common, whether that's Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson to an extent, they all have had the ability to create off script or outside of the pocket because the state of the offensive line play throughout the league just isn't great right now. So you can't have that guy that isn't very mobile within the pocket. You have to have a guy that can create or extend plays with his legs, and Kyler Murray is able to do that. He can layer the ball at all three levels of the field, and he kind of relaxes the need on their offensive line a bit just because he can move around a bit better than what Josh Rosen can. I just love inserting him right away with Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and David Johnson right behind him. And they have a really nice young core as far as a skill position standpoint. Now, they do have some work to do as far as their offensive line. And I I thought it was one of the worst units throughout the entire league a year ago. So they are going to supplant some of those needs. And I think they will replenish a few of those guys up front. And they got off to a good start. And I thought they did a good job already starting the offensive line rebuild, bringing in Marcus Gilbert. J.R. Sweezy is another addition that they hope can be better at that left guard spot. But you have Mason Cole, who may be better in his second year with the team. And then you have Justin Pugh coming in with his second year off that lucrative deal that he did sign a year ago. And then you have D.J. Humphreys still trying to prove his first round billing. So inserting Kyler Murray right into this lineup, he is now the leader in the desert. With the second overall selection, the San Francisco 49ers select Nick Bosa, the defensive end from Ohio State. Another pick that I think is a no-brainer, and they already have some intriguing pieces along the interior in DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and Solomon Thomas, so I think they're set as far as the interior. Now, as far as filling their need on the edge, they have already taken steps towards that with bringing in D Ford from the Kansas City Chiefs, trading for him and then signing him to a lucrative five-year, $85 million deal that is essentially a pay-as-you-go type of contract. So they're starting to fill and stack that defensive talent that they needed. And I think this team is going to get better than last year, just because Jimmy Garoppolo missed a host of games last year with a torn ACL. And now you pair D Ford with Nick Bosa. And now you have that really good defensive line rotation and you have two above average edge rushers coming off of the edge. And an interesting stat that I found out about the 49ers that was just bonkers to me is that they set an NFL single season record last year for the fewest forced turnovers ever among any defense. So that just goes to show you how bad they were, not only up front, but as a unit as a whole. And with Nick Bosa, he's a guy that is known to get endless pressure. He is very crafty and he can force fumbles. So they will be in good shape as far as forcing more turnovers next year, as long as he's able to stay healthy. And then also with D Ford coming off the opposite edge. With the third overall selection, the New York Jets are now on the clock, and they elect Quentin Williams, the defensive tackle from Alabama. This is another pick that has been highly debatable. Yes, they may take Josh Allen here or another edge rusher, but Quentin Williams is the best player in the draft. And I know a lot of Jets fans are saying that the positional fit may be a question with Leonard Williams already there. And I just think stacking or stockpiling talent is always a good thing. And with Quentin Williams bringing him into the fold and pairing him with Leonard Williams, you have a rock-solid interior. And whenever you can get the best player in the draft, not necessarily at the top or at the number one overall selection, but in turn, the third overall pick, I think you have to be willing to do that. And I still think the Jets are going to try as hard as they can to trade out of this spot just because they only have six picks and they still need to stockpile picks in order to turn over and get more talent on this roster. But if Quentin Williams is staring at you right there at the number three overall selection, I think you should run to the podium and turn in the card with his name on it. 
The Oakland Raiders are now on the clock with a fourth overall selection, and this is a pick that has been highly debated because this is the first year of the Mike Mayock and John Gruden tenure, and they made a lot of waves in news media this week, sending all of their scouts home and essentially telling them not to come back after until after the draft just because they don't want any leaks. And now it comes out that there's going to be a surprise pick with this fourth overall selection, but a connection that I really made with this pick and they went Ed Oliver the defensive tackle out of Houston and if you think about who their defensive coordinator is which is Paul Gunther he got to see Geno Atkins essentially grow up in his defense and how he affected this defense and I think with Ed Oliver a player that is very similar from a structure or body structure wise and playing style wise to Geno Atkins I think Paul Gunther is probably going to pound the table for his guy and he may not have a lot of say so in this draft but he's going to stand on the table for his guy and Ed Oliver and Mike Mayock repeatedly talked about at the combine how much interior pressure is more paramount than exterior pressure a team that had a league low 13 sacks a year ago I think Ed Oliver could be that ultimate chess piece up front for Gunther's defense with the fifth overall pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers select Devin White, the linebacker from LSU. And I think this is one of the easiest picks of the top five. And I say that because Quan Alexander has now moved on to the Bay Area to, with the San Francisco 49ers. And that leaves a huge void in the middle of the Buccaneers defense. With Todd Bowles now in place as a defensive coordinator, he's going to want that centerpiece for his defense. And Devin White definitely provides that. He brings that tone setting and leadership aspect to the defense that they just have not had. And Quan Alexander was a really good player, but he just wasn't able to stay healthy during his last year with the team. And Devin White has shown to be durable during his time at LSU. And he is that prototypical Mike linebacker that you want to insert in the middle of your defense. And that's exactly what Tampa Bay does. And it seems like we're saying secondary is always their weakness. But Devin White definitely can help that some with his leadership and just getting everybody in the right positions. And they're still going to draft some guys in the secondary with their picks in the later rounds. But I think with Devin White here, you have to be able to take him. And he is just a perfect fit at this spot with the fifth overall selection. The Giants at the sixth overall pick, they select Josh Allen, the edge rusher from Kentucky. And this has been a widely speculated selection because nobody really knows what the Giants are going to do. It's been widely speculated that they may take a quarterback or they may take an edge rusher. That seems to only be their two options. And general manager Dave Gettleman has been adamant about building from the inside out. Last year, they selected Lorenzo Carter, B.J. Hill, and R.J. McIntosh, and they've seen early returns from all of those guys. But they still do not have that premier edge rusher like when they had during their glory days of Jason Pierre-Paul and OCU Manura. So they want to get back to that type of identity of getting after the quarterback. With Josh Allen, he provides them that the reigning SEC Defensive Player of the Year and the player with the most sack and pressure production throughout the entire country. Moving on to the Jaguars at the seventh overall pick, they select TJ Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa. The current Jaguars depth chart consists of Jeff Swam, Ben Koyak, and Pharaoh McKeever. And I know you're probably saying who after I listed all of those names. And that just shows the lack of depth and talent at the tight end position. And this may seem like a bit of a reach, but the Jaguars elect to go with one of the safest prospects in this entire draft. And after investing four years, $88 million in Nick Foles, they want to get him as many weapons as possible. And Hawkinson can not only contribute as a pass catcher, but also as a tenacious blocker. 
the Detroit Lions with the eighth overall selection elect to take Jonah Williams, the Alabama offensive tackle. And this is a bit of a luxury pick. They still need help at edge rusher despite signing Trey Flowers to a lucrative deal this offseason. They have a need at tight end and safety after releasing Glover Quinn. And the Lions are known as a team that is always taking the safe approach, taking Frank Ragnow last year and Jared Davis the year before that. So they're known as a team that doesn't like to take a lot of risks. The last time that they took a risk in the first round was when they selected Ezekiel Ansah a few years back. So with Jonah Williams, you're getting a player that has a high ceiling and a very high floor. And then you plug him in right away at right guard between Ricky Wagner and Graham Glasgow because they already have two great options at those tackle spots in Taylor Decker and Wagner. So you slide in Jonah Williams and now you have a formidable offensive front in order to protect Matthew Stafford. The Buffalo Bills at number nine. They continue the run on offensive tackles, and they select Jawan Taylor, the tackle from Florida. They already have Deion Dawkins, and they signed Ty Inseki this offseason. So Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean continue to build up that offensive front because the whole entire offseason focus has been how they can help Josh Allen succeed in as many ways as possible. Bringing in Jawan Taylor, you give him an immediate answer at right tackle and specifically to compete right away with Ty Seki. Now, the loser of that battle could potentially be your depth swing tackle, or if they want to transition Deion Dawkins inside, they definitely can do that just because they have Spencer Long at center, who they provided some added competition in that area, and they've signed a host of other offensive linemen as well to help at those spots along the interior, so their interior really seems to be set. Even though they have that now three-man competition at offensive tackle between Taylor, Dawkins, and now Inseki, now you're having a surplus of talent up front. And that's all you can ask for, especially at a position that seems to have a shortage throughout the league. You want to set up your franchise quarterback with as many possible outcomes with that offensive line up front in as many ways possible to succeed. And that's exactly what Jawan Taylor does provide right away. And he brings a certain type of identity and nastiness and blue collar mentality that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean preach. The 10th overall selection consists of Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan. The Denver Broncos elect to go with him. And the quarterback position has been a common position pegged at this spot, but I just don't think they're going to do that. Now with Vic Fangio in the mold, they have a defensive-minded head coach, and this is his first draft pick ever. And I just don't think they're going to go on the offensive side of the ball. And I know Joe Flacco probably isn't a consistent or long-term answer there, but I think he's going to want a defensive player at this spot. And Devin Bush brings them that sideline to sideline rangy linebacker right away to place in the middle with Josie Jewell and Todd Davis to give them one of the best young cores or young trios throughout the entire league. Devin Bush is going to be a franchise player no matter who selects him. And I think he's going to be a terrific pro just because he has the DNA that you're looking for. His father was a terrific player in the NFL, former first round selection. And he has the instincts that you love to see at the position. And last year, we saw how successful a rookie could be stepping in right away in Vic Fangio's defense in Roquan Smith. And Devin Bush could be a very similar type of player. At the 11th overall selection, the Cincinnati Bengals elect to go with Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback from Ohio State. Now, this may cause a bit of controversy, and what I mean by that is Andy Dalton is still on the roster, but head coach Zach Taylor doesn't have any ties to him. That was a Marvin Lewis draft pick, and the team seems to want to turn the page completely from the Marvin Lewis regime. 
and the Marvin Lewis era. And that's exactly what Andy Dalton does identify as. And if he continues to have the same type of production and the health that he showed in years past, I think the team is definitely going to move on from him. And an added incentive to that is that he doesn't have any more dead money attached to the two years remaining on his contract. So Dwayne Haskins gets to sit back and learn from Andy Dalton. And just to see if Andy Dalton can maintain that job. And even if he does play well next year, I don't think he's the long-term answer going forward. Haskins is already in place in a system that really caters to his strengths with a proven quarterback coach of the past as well in Zach Taylor. So he has his quarterback of the future and he finally has his go-to guy that he wants to groom for the future. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers with the 12th overall selection. They take a bit of a surprise here, and TJ Hawkinson has commonly been slotted at this spot, but I think they go with another Iowa tight end now that Hawkinson is off the board, and that's Noah Fant, the tight end from Iowa. And he provides an ultimate type of chess piece for Aaron Rodgers at an inline or exterior position. There's a lot of different surfaces that he can operate and a crazy stat about the Packers is that they haven't drafted an offensive skill position player since taking Javon Walker in the 2002 draft. And I think that's definitely going to change this draft, being that they have two selections in the first round. And we'll see who they pick with the 30th overall selection a little bit later in this draft. But they need to get Aaron Rodgers some more weapons. And I say that because the Jimmy Graham experiment just hasn't worked out to this point. And we'll see how it goes in year two. But they are one Devontae Adams injury away from taking the field with a complete wide receiver court that consists of second and third year late round or undrafted free agents. And they just cannot do that. And I know Aaron Rodgers is an elite talent, but and it is time for them to get him an ultimate weapon outside of Devontae Adams. With the 13th overall selection, the Miami Dolphins are now on the clock. They elect to take Christian Wilkins, the defensive tackle from Clemson. And this is a team that did not address the trenches on either side of the ball a year ago. And I think that is quickly going to change. But I think the Dolphins are going to do everything in their power to try to move back from this selection because it is no secret that they are trying to rebuild this team for the future. Now, whether that's a short term or long term rebuild, I think that's still up for debate and discussion. But for the now, I think they're going to try to trade out of this pick as much as they can. But for the sake of this mock draft, let's just say that they stay at this spot and I think Christian Wilkins will be a absolutely terrific selection here because they need pass rushing help whether that's at defensive end or defensive tackle this roster is starving for a guy that can get after the passer and they also need a passer quarterback is definitely another need but they're just not ready to put him behind this offensive line that they already have in place and there's just a lack of talent there especially after losing Jawan James to the Denver Broncos via free agency so they elect to take the defensive side of the ball which is Brian Flores' background and they take Christian Wilkins here at the 13th overall selection. With the Atlanta Falcons at the 14th overall spot they elect to take Montez Sweat the defensive end from Mississippi State. And the Falcons have a need at defensive tackle as well as edge rusher. And I think they could serve to upgrade on their offensive line, specifically at guard and tackle. I think they need some help at both of those spots, even though they did sign James Carpenter and Jamon Brown this offseason. I think they could upgrade from both of those guys. Maybe that's with the mid-round pick or a later down the line free agency signing. But for the sake of this... They take Montez Sweat here and they end a bit of a slip for him. And there's a lot of rumors out there about the heart condition and just how far he may slip. But I don't think it will be very far because of how athletic he is. He runs a 4-4-1. He's 6'5", 260 pounds. And humans that large are just not able to bend like he does and move as swiftly as he does. And Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov have not, have not shied away from taking these uberly talented athletes. They've done it in years past with Grady Jarrett, Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley, the list goes 
goes on and on. Deion Jones, Devondre Campbell. There's just so many guys that they have inserted into this defense that have tested in the 90 plus percentile at the combine. And that's exactly what Montez Sweat asked to this defense. And what you're hoping with Sweat bringing him in is that you once again get a motivated Vic Beasley to help him play better to return to how he played in his second year when he was atop the league lead in sacks. So now bringing in Sweat, you have the rotation of McKinley alongside Beasley with Sweat, and now you have a significantly better defensive line and edge rush rotation. With the 15th overall selection, the Washington Redskins are in a firmly discussed spot because there's been rumors about them wanting to trade up for Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones. There's just been so many smoke screens out there about the selection, and nobody really knows what they're going to do. So I elect them to take Drew Locke right here, the quarterback from Missouri. And I think if they want to take a quarterback, they're probably going to have to trade up for their guy. But since this is a no-trades mock draft, I elect to take Drew Locke at this spot. Everyone knows that Case Keenum and Colt McCoy are not the long-term answers there. And Alex Smith's career is still in limbo. We don't know what his situation is going to be in 2019 and beyond, but it is best for them to plan for the future this year. They have to select the quarterback and get him in the building. And I know they don't have time. Jay Gruden doesn't have time to really groom a young quarterback, but they don't have that high upside guy currently on the roster right now. And that's what Drew Locke does provide. I think he has significantly more talent than any other signal caller that they do have on the roster currently. The Carolina Panthers are up with the 16th overall selection, and they elect to take Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle from Washington State. One of my favorite players in this entire draft, and I think he fits in a spot right away to where he can be a starter from day one for the Carolina Panthers. They finally admitted their fault with Matt Khalil, and they cut bait for him, who has since transitioned and signed with the Houston Texans. And the Panthers is only going to be an offensive tackle or an edge rusher at this spot, in my opinion, which is by far their two biggest weaknesses and needs currently on the roster. They just don't have any talent off of the edge. And their offensive tackle situation is really in flux. Taylor Moten had a really good year last year, but they seem to really want to move him after still re-signing Darrell Williams from a year ago, even coming off the knee injury, which was a bit surprising. And there's been some rumors out there that the Carolina Panthers may trade up from this spot in order to secure their guy. So they get Dillard right here and they get him to be that plug and play option protecting the blind side of Cam Newton. Before we move on with pick number 17 with the New York Giants and finishing all the way through with the New England Patriots at the 32nd spot, here's a word from our sponsors. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause that. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in just minutes. Just go to ethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Again, that's E-T-H-O-S. Get ethos.com. The second half of the mock draft starts with the New York Giants in the 17th overall pick, and they elect to take Daniel Jones, the quarterback from Duke. After getting Josh Allen with the sixth overall selection, they take their quarterback right here, and maybe they could flip-flop these two. Not saying that Josh Allen is going to go with the 17th overall pick, but if they want a quarterback, they may elect to take him at sixth overall 
as opposed to waiting on the 17th overall pick. And this is a very interesting pick for the Giants because it's the pick that they got from the Cleveland Browns in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. And they may elect to take a quarterback right here, but they might take a edge rusher at this spot, depending on what they do with the sixth overall pick. And I think the sixth overall selection really sets the outlook for their entire draft, especially if they do not get the quarterback of their choosing early on. So they may, they may be scrambling at this 17th overall selection, but if they do elect to take a quarterback in the first round, it would only be the second time in the common draft era that they would take a quarterback in the first round, being that the first two times was Phil Sims in the 1979 draft and Phillip Rivers in the 2004 draft before trading him for Eli Manning. So Jones becomes the first open around selection in 15 years, and he becomes the heir apparent to Eli Manning, who is now entering a contract year. And opinions about Eli's play over the past few years, and if he just doesn't have it anymore all over the place, but general manager Dave Gettleman seems to be adamant about Eli Manning and still having some juice left in his arm. But it would be wise for them to go ahead and get that young heir apparent and quarterback of the future behind Eli Manning. And Daniel Jones does fit the mold, especially in Pat Shermer's short to intermediate attacking offense and he fits it to a T and with the surrounding weapons and Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram and a host of other guys as well. He already has those weapons in place in order for him to succeed. And the biggest thing for Daniel Jones is just to always keep him on script just because things kind of decay for him and they erode a bit and he gets a bit antsy when things break down. But he is a much better athlete than given credit for. So he can operate a bit off script, but it's not a consistent living that he makes in his game. So the Giants are a really good fit for him because he's not forced to play right away. He gets to sit behind Eli Manning and be under his tutelage for a year and then eventually gets to take over in 2020. The Minnesota Vikings are on the clock at the 18th overall selection, and they elect to take Garrett Bradbury, the center from NC State. And this is a very interesting pick because Mike Zimmer really stayed open about it at the owners meeting, and he said that they're not locking Riley Reef into one position moving forward. It just depends on how the board falls. Maybe he does play tackle next year or he may play guard. But just to prevent all of that from happening and switching him and flip-flopping him from all of these various positions... They elect to take a plug-and-play option at center, and it becomes a bit of a less of a hassle moving Pat Elfline to a position that he has played previously because he played guard when he was at Ohio State in 2015 and 2016. So it's a bit of an easier projection, and that's not to say he's going to have immediate success at that position, but he has struggled at center to date, and I know he wasn't healthy a year ago, but it makes it an easier transition moving Elfline to left guard and then inserting Bradbury at center right away. And he is your typical zone scheme fit in Kevin Stefanski's type of system and then you're bringing in Gary Kubiak as well in his zone scheme running style Bradbury is really at his best when he's able to move laterally which is most of the movements that they will be making in that zone based scheme with the 19th overall selection the Tennessee Titans elect to take Cleveland Furl the edge rusher from Clemson and I like this selection a lot because the Titans really don't have a whole bunch of glaring weaknesses, but they just don't have a lot of high-end talent out of a lot of positions. And I think Cleveland Farrell is a player that really has a high floor, and he's been a bit forgotten about in this draft class just because there's a lot more flashy type of players uh, at, from an edge-rushing standpoint in this class, and Cleveland Farrell didn't get to participate in the Combine or at his pro day just because he's been nursing a toe injury. But inserting him 
And pairing him with Harold Landry, I really think that gives them a formidable duo off of the edge. And Cleveland Farrell really is a player that really has been slept on a lot to this point in the process. And I really think he is a perfect fit in the Titans scheme. Next on the list is the Pittsburgh Steelers at the 20th overall selection. And they elect to take Byron Murphy, the cornerback from Washington. And it seems like every year we're trying to address the Steelers secondary because they just haven't been able to hit on any picks in that area. And they took Terrell Edmonds last year, which was a huge surprise to a lot of people. They thought a lot of people thought that he probably went a couple rounds too early and he came on a little bit as the year went on and the light started to click for him a little bit towards the end of the year. But there seems to still be a need at corner and there's been some talks about extending Joe Hayden. The Artie Burns experiment just hasn't worked since selecting him in the first round of the 2016 draft. So the team still has a need outside on the defense. So you insert Byron Murphy, and he not only can play outside, but he can play the nickel position as well. He's going to come up and tackle. He is a do-it-all type of cornerback. So inserting him opposite of Joe Hayden would give them a really good tandem on the outside of their defense. Next up, we have the Seattle Seahawks with the 21st overall selection, and they elect to take Brian Burns, the edge rusher from Florida State. Another pick that really satisfies a need, especially after trading Frank Clark to the Kansas City Chiefs on Tuesday. So with Frank Clark out the door, now they're able to take advantage of these plethora of picks, even though they only have four prior to this point. Now they recouped some of those picks, and the first one that they use it on is Brian Burns. And I really love this pick because he fits in right away. He supplies the need that they do have at edge rusher, but he still has a ways to go as far as run defense and using his hands. But being in that system, they can hide his deficiencies to an extent. But the best thing is that it is an organizational move for the Seahawks. Even though they've already re-signed Russell Wilson, they still have to re-sign the leader of their defense and Bobby Wagner and also Jaron Reed. So they have some big decisions coming up. But now they're going to have some young and cheap, flexible type of first-round picks inserting into this defense. And Brian Burns definitely satisfies that need coming off of the edge. The Baltimore Ravens at the 22nd overall selection are the next team on the list. And they select Rashawn Gary, the edge rusher from Michigan. And he's been one of the most polarizing prospects in this entire draft class because he has a hot and cold motor and his production just hasn't been there. And it's been lacking to this point, but... His traits are out of this world, and that's something that you can't take away from him. But the motor concerns and just the want to just hasn't been there all the time. But replacing Terrell Suggs, I think he's the ideal replacement for that. And they have a culture that can get the best out of him. So you put Rashawn Gary at that rush defensive end, outside linebacker type of hybrid position to where he can play on the weak side, but he also can move up and down the line at any position, whether that's at defensive end or if you want to transition him inside and sub packages or even on third down, that's something that you can do. And we've seen this defense really get creative with their fronts and their blitzes. And that's why they've been one of the top units throughout the league in years past. And I think even though he suffers a bit of a slip, this is a really good landing spot for him. Now, there is some concerns with his shoulder in that there's some rumors out there that he's going to need surgery following this year. And he played banged up with it last year. But landing in this spot with the Ravens, I think, is an ideal fit for both sides. The Houston Texans at the 23rd overall pick. It's no secret that they need offensive line help. They have to find a way to protect Deshaun Watson after surrendering a league-high 62 sacks a year ago. And Deshaun Watson couldn't even travel by plane 
on some of the team trips last year. So that just goes to show you how much they need protection up front in front of him. And they elect to take Cody Ford, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma. I think this is a really good fit because not only can he play offensive tackle, but he can play guard as well. And Senio Calamente and Zach Fulton just weren't what they thought they were after signing them a year ago. But I think they're going to give them another year to prove themselves so they can insert Cody Ford at that right tackle spot, depending on what they want to do there with him or if they want to transition him inside to guard to give competition to Senio Calamente and also Zach Fulton that is something that they can do and they just need to find a way to stockpile offensive line talent especially with three picks in the top 55 selections they'll have a chance to do that now they're another team that possibly could entertain the possibilities of trading up to secure one of their guys, whether that's in the top 20 or even moving all the way up to the top 15, just because of the amount of extra picks that they do have on the first and second day of the draft. The Oakland Raiders are once again back on the clock with their second first round pick after taking Ed Oliver with the fourth overall selection. They elect to stay on the defensive side of the ball and they take Greedy Williams, the cornerback from LSU. A player that does suffer a bit of a tumble here after believed to be a top 15 selection throughout most of the draft process. He takes a bit of a tumble all the way to the 24th overall pick. And I think this is a good situation for the Raiders to be in just because they need so much help on defense after signing a lot of offensive players during the offseason and also bringing in Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams. So their need at wide receiver is pretty much satisfied to this point and now they really need to focus on the defense and they got their defensive line help with Ed Oliver and now they also bring in Greedy Williams and he adds that different dynamic to the secondary he brings a top of the line option in John Gruden's defense and Paul Gunther's defense as well and Greedy Williams would be a fantastic fit here just because he brings that nasty demeanor and that confidence factor to a defense that really has been lacking it to this point but it's been a really awkward pre-draft process for Greedy Williams considering that he didn't have any pre-draft visits or private workouts so it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he lands but the Oakland Raiders ends his tumble here with the 24th overall selection the Philadelphia Eagles are on the clock with the 25th overall selection and they elect to take Jeffrey Simmons the defensive tackle from Mississippi State and the Eagles really have needs at offensive tackle running back and defensive tackle but with Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson already set on the interior they have a chance to take a risk on a player like Jeffrey Simmons because he's not forced to play right away and similar to Sidney Jones in 2017 they can afford to take a risk on redshirt a rookie and hopefully getting that upside out of them that they showed prior to their injury but with Jeffrey Simmons he is a carbon copy of a guy that they already have along their interior in Fletcher Cox so just imagine pairing them two alongside Malik Jackson that gives them a formidable duo along the interior But I think with Jeffrey Simmons, with his injury, I don't think it's as much of an issue as in years past because you take a chance on him. You have the fifth year option to fall back on. So it's still going to get four years out of him, assuming that he stays healthy throughout the duration of his rookie contract. And I think they stop his fall right here at the 25th overall selection. And he lands with the team that can afford to redshirt him and really not rush him back. So 2019 will serve as a redshirt year for Jeffrey Simmons. And then he'll come back in 2020 and form that really nice duo along the interior alongside Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson. A team that has generated a really nice buzz and a lot of people are excited about is the 26th overall selection and that is the Indianapolis Colts and they elect to take Jerry Tillery the defensive tackle from Notre Dame. Now they do have needs along their defensive front 
at cornerback and at wide receiver. But the fit with Tillery makes so much sense because he is exactly what they need, a high upside type of project that showed really nice flashes throughout the year last year. Everyone likes to bring up the Stanford game where he had four sacks and a forced fumble in that game. And the Colts are, are a team that are that is willing to bet on that type of high upside prospect and maybe not necessarily have the high floor that a lot of people are predicting. But I think with Tillery, he is an ideal fit along the team's interior. And he played with a torn labrum last year during the back half of the season, but he still managed to produce the same amount of production. Maybe not as much as he did early on in the year, but he still caused some disruption down the latter half of the season. So the Colts and Chris Ballard elect to take the risk on Jerry Tillery, and I think he could prove to be a steal, especially this late in the draft. With the 27th overall selection, the Oakland Raiders are once again on the clock with their third and final first round pick. And this is a fit that has been projected by nearly everybody. And that's Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama. They elect to take him here at the 27th overall slot. And they filled their need along the defensive line at Ed Oliver. They got their cornerback in Greedy Williams. And now they elect to take their running back now that Marshawn Lynch has now stated that he is going to retire. So they elect to get the immediate answer to that with Josh Jacobs. And the only other respectable running back that they have on the roster currently is Isaiah Crowell. And he is only tied to the team with a one-year, $1 million deal. So that just goes to show you the flexibility that they have at the position. But Josh Jacobs, another high upside prospect that really didn't get his fair share of touches at Alabama. And a lot of people were really wondering why. But he gets to show his upside right away in the Oakland Raiders offense. With the 28th overall selection, the L.A. Chargers elect to go with Dexter Lawrence, the mammoth-sized nose tackle from Clemson. And I think the NFL is going to value Dexter Lawrence much higher than what media experts have done to this point. And I say that because his position kind of is a decaying type of position and one that is kind of archaic to this point, even though he's mostly seen as a two down type of rusher. When he was at Clemson his freshman year, he showed to be a really good three down option. But that just didn't come to fruition his last two years at Clemson and his pass rush production really did suffer a bit of a slip his final two seasons there. But his athleticism and the way he moves around and chases the ball, he is very rare from an athletic standpoint from a person that is 6'6", 340 plus pounds. So you put him right in the middle as that two gap zero technique in between Melvin Ingram and also Joey Bosa and Justin Jones. And now you ha- you have one of the better young defensive fronts throughout the NFL. Also, Brandon Meebane, who is the starter right now at the top of the depth chart at that zero technique spot. He's entering his 13th season, and he will also be 34 years old here in the coming months. He gets to go to a situation where he can be a starter down the line, and Meebane just isn't the long-term solution there because of his age. And then he's entering the final two years of his deal. So Dexter Lawrence goes to a situation where he can possibly be an instant impact type of contributor. The Seattle Seahawks at the 29th overall selection are now on the clock. The pick that they got from the Chiefs in the Frank Clark trade a couple days ago, and they elect to take Juan Thornhill, the safety from Virginia. They still have needs at cornerback and safety, so this fit really makes a lot of sense because Thornhill has experience at both spots, and he's that typical one-high, rangy, free safety that really supplies the need that Earl Thomas left with his void now that he's moved on to the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm not saying that Thornhill is going to be Earl Thomas or he has the upside to be that, but he fits in that traditional one high role that Pete Carroll likes to run in his defense in that cover one and cover three scheme predominantly. And Thornhill has the abilities of playing either. 
And they've really been searching for a player that can fill Thomas's role. And they tried to fill it with Tedrick Thompson a year ago, and he filled in okay. But a player of Thornhill's stature and his athleticism just isn't currently on the Seahawks roster at all, in my opinion, especially in the secondary. And he fills a role that has sorely been lacking on that defense. And he is just a mistake eraser. A guy that has had so much ball production when he was at UVA, he's had so much ball production when he was there, 13 interceptions in his career. So that just goes to show you that he is a true playmaker. His instincts are off the charts. His fluidity is otherworldly-like, and that was shown with how he tested at the Combine. He's a five-time state champion in high school, so he's a proven winner. And just so many traits and off-the-field things about him are so good. And then you get to the -the on-the-field standpoint, as I alluded to earlier, I think he's a very nice fit in this Seahawks defense. With the 30th overall pick, the Packers' second first-round selection of the first round, they elect to take Marquise Hollywood-Brown, the wide receiver from Oklahoma. They still have a need at linebacker and safety, and they have another pick upcoming very quickly with the 44th overall selection in the second round, but they elect to take a player that may have the most upside of any prospect in this entire class. He's gotten a lot of comparisons to Deshaun Jackson, and rightfully so. He's very explosive. He was by far the most explosive option in FBS football last year, and adding him alongside Devontae Adams, now with Noah Fant as well, Now you're supplying Aaron Rodgers with an unlimited type of weapons. And I just don't know how you're going to be able to guard all of those guys. And then they have a really nice rotation in the backfield when they like to use Aaron Jones. So now you have all of these pass catching options, not only in the backfield, but also out wide as well. So you can interchange a lot of these guys. And with Matt LaFleur's system that really likes to have a really nice running game, which he will have in Green Bay, he will make sure to have that. But you have all of these weapons on the perimeter now, and I just don't know how you guard the complementary options of Devontae Adams and Marquise Brown. The NFC champion Los Angeles Rams are now on the clock with the 31st overall selection, and they elect to take Dalton Reisner, the offensive tackle from Kansas State, a guy that I think fits very well in this scheme. And even though they run a predominantly type of zone scheme, I still think he'll be able to survive in that. And according to Pro Football Focus, he was one of the better zone scheme type of linemen. And he has experience at center and at tackle. But I think his best position probably will be at guard. And they have a huge void there now with Roger Saffold moving on to the Tennessee Titans and John Sullivan moving on as well. That leaves a huge void in the middle of their interior offensive line. So they have a need at center and they also have one at guard. And they have Brian Allen and Joseph Noteboom, who were the third and fourth round selections from a year ago. But neither one of those guys have the upside and nastiness that Dalton Reisner brings to the table. So he supplies a real need at center or at guard, whichever position they want to play him at. And he is a plug and play option right away. The last and final selection, which comes from the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots with the 32nd overall pick, is by far my favorite pick of the entire round. And that is DK Metcalf, the wide receiver from Old Miss. And I think team fit is going to be the most important aspect of DK Metcalf's career because there's so many mixed opinions out there about him. If he can ever become a true route runner, just where does his value lie opposed to running north and south? And what you have to understand about Metcalf is that he is a receiver that is not going to run a bunch of different routes just because that's not where he wins. He wins running vertically. And in this New England Patriots offense, that's something that they're going to do. They always cater to their player strengths. And landing with Tom Brady in this offense with Josh McDaniels 
And a player that has had similar success that is very alike DK Metcalf is Josh Gordon. And I think both of those guys are very similar from a playing style wise. And we saw how much of an immediate success and a big presence factor that he brought to the table. I think Metcalf will be able to do the same. The Patriots having 12 draft picks, they will be able to take plenty of risk in this draft. And with Metcalf falling to them, I think that is the biggest deal in the first round. Wow, we finally made it through my first round mock draft. And there's so many picks that I like throughout this first round. And I'm really interested to see what happens, not only on the first day of the draft, which is tonight, day two and day three, because there's so many intriguing names and there's a lot of things that teams could do throughout the league. So I'll be keeping an eye on a lot of teams throughout the league. And just make sure to stay tuned in to the Draft Board Podcast. Once again, I want to remind you guys that you can pick up my 2019 draft guide on CoverOne.net. Also, it's pinned at the top of my Twitter page. It is $10. But all of the proceeds go to a foundation called the Raleigh Rise Against Hunger Foundations, which is striving to fight against hunger not only here in the United States, but also on international soil as well. Also, I am going to have a podcast, not only today, of course, but Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So make sure you stay tuned in and on the lookout for that. Once again, I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can find my work on CoverOne.net, also ClimbingThePocket.com. I will have full draft recaps throughout the weekend on CoverOne.net, covering every single pick. Also, a podcast after every single day of the draft. So be sure to stay tuned in to the Draft Board Podcast. You can also find my Twitter page at NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D-NFL. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I hope you enjoy the first night of the draft.